0: Well, hello and welcome again to another episode of Just In Podcast. I am very fortunate this early afternoon, or it's morning, Linda, <laughs> to be joined by um, Linda Becker, who I would say is a poet, a writer, a singer, and an educator. And um, I think I admire you most, Linda, as a very strong woman with an open heart and an ease about you in making connections and communicating with your community. Does that, I feel like... um, I'll take that. You'll take that? (laughs) I think that's where we've always kind of intersected in South Berwick. Um, Gosh, it's
1: going on more than 20 years since I first met you. And I remember you very well walking by the end of our driveway and stopping to talk. (laughs) Mostly with my husband, but then he said, you should meet this girl, Jen, she just lives around the corner.
0: Oh, that's so funny. That's an early memory. Well, hello, and thank you so much for joining me this morning and finding us. um, What do we live, a half mile apart? (laughs) All
1: that distance. All
0: that distance. Um, I remember, I think, yeah, I did meet your husband first, Rick. Um, Mm -hmm. I just moved to town. Well, not moved to town, moved in town because I used to live out on Lord's Lane. Mm -hmm. And your husband has... Everything that I love—unique, one-of-a-kind treasures—an eclectic smattering of art, antiques, books, and just everything that makes a town unique or its own history. He—he seems to me to be a lover of history.
1: He certainly is. um, To wit, his—do you know about his blog that he has? I have stumbled upon his blog. Yeah, Yeah. it started out with just um, a place for Jen and Carrie. To hear what was going on in the town they both grew up in, because now they're in Seattle and Brielle, New Jersey. But um, it turns out that there were close to, I know there were over 4,000 people who are members of his group and submit their photographs and tell their stories.
0: That's when I think I first stumbled on it. I would, had moved to Witch Trout Road, which has this huge history and urban, not urban, rural legends. Mm-hmm. And um, people have written songs about it. And um, a lot of people were sharing old photos. And stories on rick's page but that's about rick he's, <laughs> he's just as rich um a community member as you are but that he was the tie that brought us together i remember him so proudly showing me the garage <laughs> and then i got to meet you and your beautiful kitchen
1: with your warm is it a beehive oven you have an older home that's really Funny you should say that. The house we lived in, in New York from nineteen seventy to nineteen eighty had a beehive oven and I literally did bake bread and beans in it when I was up to it. Um, but this one doesn't have a beehive oven, but the house is almost two hundred years old. But
0: it does. I remember the yeah. brick hearth yeah. in your kitchen being so warm and inviting and you offering, you know, a coffee or tea and that's that's my first memory of you. And then since then, um having the stores and now being able to sell your book of poems. It's just it's been an extraordinary adventure with you.
1: And a good one. Thank you. And a good
0: yeah, and you are a wealth of information. So I didn't know if you'd like to start off just by reading a poem that you've written, if that works, or if you want to ease into it.
1: Um, I would say that I would ease into it in one respect because it occurred to me and um, I'd be a liar if I said I didn't think a little bit about what we might do today and wonder what is the most important thing that I would like to share about um my writing and other facets of my life and it occurred to me that there's a man that some of your listeners may have heard of he's an actual Pulitzer Prize winner um, and used to write for the Boston Globe and he was considered the patriarch of UNH his name is Don Murray and he and I met at a New England Association of Teachers of English that's a mouthful conference at which he was introduced to me and the first thing he said which I was blown away by was Hi, Mrs. Becker, Linda. Um, you and I have something sad in common. And I said, "I'm sorry, I've never met you before." And she said, "We've each lost a child, oh, and I need yeah. to know if you're writing about it." Those were his first words to me. You know, um, I forget to
0: tell you to put your earphones on, but it's up to you. You can try it both ways. I, your headphones. It might
1: confuse me. I don't.
0: Know. Are you okay? It does. It sounds a little echoey when you have them on. No. No, of course. So I had said to you, Linda, I said, you know, is there anything off limits to talk about? And this was the thing that I had in my heart that I didn't want to bring out unless you were ready. And it was the loss of a child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because I think that is something so intimate and so painful and creates such a void. And I can only imagine my sister lost her child um in her early 20s and just being next to that and witnessing but not having experienced it Mm -hmm. um so he he kind of brought that to the forefront and said are you writing for the loss of your child
1: he did he said are you writing about it and i said i'm i just kind of blurted out some silly response which was basically no i'm not and he said well you must we must have lunch together and i'll talk to you about what you need to be writing and then he, not what I needed to be writing, but that I needed to be writing. And invited me into a poetry group of professors from UNH. No, not intimidation, no intimidation there.
0: <laughs> so Have you been
1: writing poetry before that? Yeah, I had, but I had chosen not to write specifically about that. I wasn't really yet. Um, but he was such a generous, and that was his reputation. He's since passed away, but... He was the most incredibly generous man, taking fledgling writers under his arm and giving them a comfort level so that they were able to produce more. And I ended up, because of him and because of that workshop, I entered a couple of poetry writing contests through the New England Association of Teachers of Writing. Not thinking they would go anywhere, and not really caring if they did, but it was a nice impetus for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And. I got a couple of second prizes and I came really close to a first prize. Again, not the most important thing, but this was what was important. Afterwards, one of the judges came over to me and she said, I was a strong advocate for you getting first prize. She said, Because you know what your writing reminds me of? And I said, I have no idea. She said, <laughs> Billy Collins, you are a writer like Billy Collins, and he's one of my favorite poets. And I was like, I don't care if I get anything; it I'll carry that chord. in my heart forever.
0: <laughs> well, so you you grew up in South Berwick, Maine. I did. Was it much different when you were growing up as a child? Oh my goodness,
1: um, that's what the images of. And I'm holding up a book that none of you can see, but it's called Cobwebs and Glitter, and it's childhood stories. I call them story poems. And it has to do with the world of the 1950s. We moved here in 1950 when I was four years old. I wonder if that quite right. Fifty, you would have been four. Yeah, I'm 76 now. You're 76 I mean, years old. No one wild? believes that about you. <laughs> yes, yeah, so there must be a name for that septuagenarian. I think that's only 70s. Anyway, yeah. I lived from 1950 to 1960 in this town and moved away to the big metropolis of Portsmouth. Culture shock. There were girls in my gym class wearing mascara, and I was going, that's <laughs> what my mom wears to Christmas parties, and I watch what she does with it. it was like, you
0: moved to the big city. How old were you when you city. moved to
1: Portsmouth? I was um, freshman into my freshman year, and that's what I mean about culture shock. I was the president of a little class of, I don't know, 40 maybe here, mm-hmm. class secretary doing all this stuff, and I moved, there were 400 kids in my freshman class.
0: I had a similar experience. I moved from Spofford, New Hampshire. Well, I grew up in Spofford, New Hampshire, with a school K through eighth, and then didn't the town didn't have enough um, population wasn't big enough for high school. so we were shipped to Keene, New Hampshire, wow. where I went from tiny little village to having sixteen hundred children in the students, in the whole high school. So similar, 400 yeah. kids in a class. It is.
1: 2,000 kids at Portsmouth High School. Oh, my goodness. It so. was a huge influence from Peace, Air Force Base. Because mm-hmm. that was still, that was from. probably
0: in its heyday. Oh, that was its heyday, yeah. Back and then. then. Diminished greatly after that, but it's still a big high school. So you went from um, South Berwick, and then a, with the infusion of the Air Force Base, there was diversity, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. with kids from all over the country that had mm-hmm. traveled the world. hmm
1: and then from there, when did you meet Rick? Um, I was a junior or a sophomore at UNH. Um, I started out as an art major. I still am able to do watercolors by commission. Oh, I forgot about that because we've we sold yeah, your yeah. your cards yeah. every now and then. Yeah, I've done fundraisers using cards. Your commission, your Library commissioned me to do four um, watercolors of the library at different seasons. Different. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, I did. I started out as an art major, not thinking I would get into teaching right away, which I did. But um, I was working as a summer waitress at the Sheraton in Portsmouth. Is that still there? Was that off the traffic circle? No, it's gone. It was, yeah, right at the traffic circle. It's called the Sheraton Meadowbrook. And this tall, lanky guy with a nice-looking Brooks Brothers suit on walked by when I was sharing a picture of my boyfriend to my fellow waitresses, and he looked over my shoulder. I'd never met this guy. He said, Oh, he's not so hot. And he kept walking. <laughs> I turned to them and I said, Who is that rude guy? And they said, Oh, oh Greg said your boyfriend here. was not so hot. Yeah, so yeah. I was showing this picture. He was, my boyfriend was like the quarterback on the football team and from Long Island, New York. And everybody knew Joe Sebastian was his name, Sebastian. Oh, okay. And then,
0: um, so do you remember, wasn't it Howard Johnson's? Was that there when you were working? No, uh, oh. wait.
1: Howard Johnson's might have been that might have come on later. the circle what's the next one that came in no i think howard johnson's might have been there yeah
0: because when i first started coming to maine we would stop at howard johnson's and that even seems like a relic of the past yeah it definitely
1: definitely is so we kind of went uh i think it was maybe a week and a half later he called to apologize for his rudeness and asked me out and that was the beginning how do you the get end. your number linda Oh, let me see. Oh, you know <laughs> How what How did it did? work back then? No, no. He called me from, they, uh, sh- the Sheraton Meadowbrook was separated. The, the desk and the entry place was here. Then there was this covered, and then over here. So mm-hmm. he called me from that side of the Sheraton to the other side. And oh, he called you me. at work? Yeah, called me at work. He said, I'll put a cup of coffee down at the coffee house on Bow Street. It was called the New World Coffee House. Even back
0: then, Bow Street was like the epicenter. Right? The,
1: absolutely, epicenter. He played Bob Dylan, She Belongs to Me. And after that, I did.
0: <laughs> you were, and that's all it took was one song from Bob Dylan, right? She's
1: got everything she needs. She's an artist. She don't look back. That's the first line. And you guys both just knew. Um, a year and a half later, he gave me my diamond. And it's been 54 years.
0: <laughs> that, uh, that just gave me the chills. That's like, that is the love that everybody dreams of having and wanting and and celebrating and being a part of but it comes with a lot doesn't it I feel like you've Huge. lived a full life oh my
1: gosh it's not anything that we could have even the stage we're at now Jen is not the stage we anticipated because you can't predict what it's going to be like to be old you know we just we used to talk about division of labor when we were dating yeah you do the grass and this and that and I'll do the food and the when the kids come along well You'll figure fairy tale doesn't exist. No,
0: jail. you know, um, one of the things my mom said that I always take with me is that everyone struggles. There's struggle for, for everyone.
1: Good for your mom. She's a wise woman.
0: Doesn't discir- discriminate, right?
1: No, and you think the facade that people show you is who they really are and what their relationship really is, and everyone has that. They just sort of have this. This is the world that I – this is the me I present to the world because I'm comfortable doing that. And then behind that are your trials and your sorrows and your mistakes. And you're right. And your mom is right. We all have to go through that.
0: And I think that it, I, you know, I used to you know, wonder about people being fake or not. And I don't think it's that we present a fake side of ourselves. No, not a fake side. I think that you know, there's a certain vulnerability to allowing all of you out in the public eye. And that I think is for each of us to decide what works best for us. It's a great explanation. It truly is. And and with you, you're one of those magical people that you lead with an open heart, and that's the side of you that I've always experienced. And whether good or bad, um, you have you have like a timeless essence about yourself that. I admire and I appreciate because I think, and I think that's why people are so surprised when you share that you're seventy, Six. you're seventy-six. Because even today you're here and you're so saucy looking and beautiful, <laughs> and you have contemporary hair and jewelry, <laughs> and you look. The dogs are both.
1: You know what that's all about? That's being a teacher of middle schoolers who constantly gave me feedback, <laughs> like uh, Mrs. Becker, is that all your hair on top of your head? Oh my God. On one day so he was a boy
0: <laughs> you saw all of the trends come through with the new middle schoolers right so you graduated did you get married before you graduated
1: college i yeah i did the evil thing that moms and dads worry about i dropped out of school and married rick because it was vietnam war time oh my and my he was goodness. in the national guard reserve in dover yeah and people getting activated and we just thought maybe we should just get married and i I don't know how that connected necessarily with Vietnam, but it turned out that it came a hairbreadth away from him going to Vietnam and all because he was being, I'm sorry, I love you dearly, Rick, a jerk. He was late for too many national guard meetings and he came and announced to me, even after we'd set our date and knew we were going to go to Montego Bay for our honeymoon, um, that he had missed many and that he might very well be activated and sent to Vietnam. And I was like, Oh my God. So we went to Montego Bay and the registered letter came and we played the, you Eat it. No, you eat it. No, Micah, you eat it. Mikey. And it was Frankfurt, Germany. And the rest of his unit went to Vietnam and a couple of his buddies actually got killed over there. And we, as a wrist slap, if you can imagine that, sent us to live in Germany for two years.
0: Like it was a dishonored
1: no, it was like, not dishonored, was, but because well, was he necessary. was late. It was necessary. They were guarding at that time, imagine, the Russian border. Mm-hmm. So Rick would be doing maneuvers, as they call them in the army on the Russian border. But it was a marvelous, marvelous experience for us. No children. Did it, you go with him? Oh God. Lived lived in Germany for two years with a German couple, Ervelta and his wife, and in Gelnhausen, in Germany, and we traveled all around Europe in our little Volkswagen with our best friends over there. Oh my there. goodness. It's a lot of beer drink. Well, I don't drink beer, but it was. He <laughs> <You> drank beer. <laughs> I'm a wine person, but the beer in Germany is pretty amazing. Um, and did he bring us guitar? He he brought his guitar and some of the best parties at our house included all of us singing the songs that our age group knew Mm -hmm. um, and having marvelous parties and waking up to people at your door. We're here to help you clean up your apartment. And it's a different culture. (laughs) A different culture entirely. German people, so engaging and gracious because they know behind any American that they meet that have never discussed world issues with them, that there's always that knowledge that, um, (sighs) that the sadness of the history of the German people and World War II, Mm -hmm. we actually visited Dachau. We felt it was necessary to do that. Um, Total silence. No one speaks when you walk through one of the um, concentration camps and the weight of what you're walking through is constantly, it's like literally almost physically on your shoulders and sadness. But we saw, there is no question that that heinous um, history exists.
0: You know, talk about a -hmm. shared struggle as a, as a country, as a people and having to face something, an atrocity and coming to terms with that. And some deniers not willing to accept like, it's, that's that's a lot to me and even to this day, if you watch documentaries or interviews, it's still very much a part of their country's story
1: and the is it is atonement the right word? um for some people of course and we got some explanation that was unsolicited you know we certainly never brought that history up or they were just very gracious with us um, and said, that it's like denial in order to exist. They were not going to get rid of Hitler or get rid of his, you know, henchmen. Mm -hmm. And so they just kind of turned their face in another direction because they felt helpless.
0: That story was written. They couldn't change it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just like I'm assuming most of us, is you have pieces of your history that are not your proudest or most welcomed memories and it's sometimes it can be that daily struggle. Okay, for some reason, this is taking up a lot of space in my head, in my heart. And am I going to allow that and focus on it and remember it? Or am I going to choose to be here present now in this day and try to push past? You know, you, can, you have choices. You can stuff your emotions. For a lot of, a lot of my life, I stuffed my emotions with food you know, sugar specifically. Wow. And that's a tricky thing. Like when you have pain as part of your story or struggle, how how do you forgive that pain or allow that pain and put it to bed in a healthy way?
1: Hard, hard to deal with, absolutely. So you don't to lose today with. or tomorrow. Right. I think that's one of the things that I'm really totally grateful for it that we pulled, we did pull out of the loss of our daughter, Abby, is that she herself was such a strong force, a strong person. Of my three daughters, Abby was absolutely the one you would um, remember if you met the three of them and then went away for a while and said, Oh, yeah, I remember Ab. Was she um, the youngest? She was the youngest. And she spent a great deal of her time writing poetry at our computer in the kitchen, which is kind of amazing to me because we lost her. In 1994, but we still had, a, it's probably a co- Commodore, the oldest first little computer things that hysterically, and I would look over her shoulder and say, um, have you finished your science homework? Oh, that's
0: a normal occurrence.
1: They'll come down in just a heartbeat. But they just had their head in my lap. They're so darling. They are just really like people.
0: Those yeah. two are... Um, we call Ruby the old soul, like she, the dark one. She'll come by and she'll know when someone needs reassurance. Aww. And she's she's scary when she greets you though, because she's big and dark and has that scary bark. But she's a quiet love. Then Harry's the young soul because he has this nervous energy Did you about say him. Harry? Yeah, Where's his name. Harry, Prince. <laughs> <laughs> the younger one, the one with the red hair. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We could talk about that. Could do, that's a whole other thing that I've been kind of following that story. But that's a that's another day, probably. Um, so the, da- the story of your three daughters and losing Abby. Um, yeah. She was a writer. So you probably identify. Are
1: all your children creative? All three girls? Actually, they are. Uh, Jennifer was doing... Um, cancer research out in Seattle when she first graduated um, from college. But she wrote about it constantly, and she was in a writer's group. And um, Carrie uh, majored in Russian and ended up in Ukraine during the first Ukrainian and Russian revolution and wrote about it in Russian in her journals, which I thought was very clever of her. No Not that I ever would have looked at her journals, of course, but I'm yeah. saying everything she wrote. And she, what did she do at one point? She fabricated herself as a daughter of the governor of Maine when she wanted to go into one of the big Russian buildings oh. <laughs> to see what was going on during she the She created Revolution. a persona oh, yeah. that would
0: allow and her to... Because she spoke such a I love story. that your word choice was fabrication. I love that. You <laughs> in for right? like, it's a, It's perspective. It's how we look at life and how we move through it. So then I think it's important that we share from there, you also became a an educator or a teacher of middle school
1: at, was it Oyster River? It's Oyster River, part of the university system. I started out in special ed. and got my first master's in special education.
0: So you was, did go back to school? Oh
1: yeah. Um, uh, that's funny you should ask because I forgot that little space of 10 years. I raised the three girls, my little toe heads in York uh, in a little cape close to the river for 10 years. And then we moved to South Berwick in 1980. You came back home? Abigail. Yes, which was Strangest thing. I walked Abby into Central School and the polished floors, even the smell of the school. The same? Exactly the same. And who should emerge from the principal's office? But the principal I had in East Green. Who was that? Do you Mul- Mul- uh, I started to say and, Um His wife had a, they were on Liberty Street. Oh, this is terrible. That's my 76-year-old brain kicking in. <laughs> and he, everybody in town knew him and his wife, as I said, she was a hairdresser on Liberty Street. Mm-hmm. Not Liberty Street, Linda. Union Street, across the church. Okay. And he came up to me, and I said, I'm sure my jaw dropped. I was so shocked to see him. 20 years. Still there. And Now they want to play. Look at them. They're showing off for you, Linda. They should be videotaping. This is so cute. (laughs) I couldn't help it with the principal. I said, I'm flashing back to being brought to you in third grade because I hit a boy over the head with my jump rope when he pulled my brains on the school bus, and I was, like, gushing at him. And he sat there perfectly, you know, not even non And I said, oh, well. Then I Carry say, on. It's me. fine. Yeah. And that's when I started going back, getting the courses I needed. Got a, a master in special ed because Abigail started school. So I had the time to do that. Mastered in special ed, worked for Strafford Learning Center. Really liked the work a lot. Got asked by Oyster River because they heard of me, I guess, if I could come work over there with some special needs children. And then I was offered a position as a classroom teacher. And I adored the principal who asked me if I would like to do that. So I got a master's in regular ed. And that was in English? You are teaching English? Well, it's we, language, arts. language arts. Language arts. Language arts, yeah. You don't have to major in just that. You get certification for, um, for a certain age group that yeah. you can teach. And I was uh, K through 8. And so I... I got those little middle schoolers that someone has to love. <laughs> Was it hard? Is eternity. it hard to love teaching
0: middle school or did that come easy for you?
1: You've got to have a tough skin. Um, the talking part and the teaching part and the love of literature circles that I could watch them blossom in mm-hmm. and have conferences where I'd take their writing and switch it around and put it in front of them and say, you wrote that? That's amazing what you wrote. That part I loved. I didn't like all the paperwork and... I love my team meetings. I couldn't have asked for better partners. We were called the Phoenix Team, and we climbed 4,000-footers with 80 kids. We did 17-mile really? hikes on the beach. They set up tents at Abenaki Golf Course and cooked their own meals, and then we hiked the rest of the way to the Odeon Science Center. We did marvelous things.
0: Odeon Science Center. I used to walk my babies on those paved path. Yes. Oh. Just, you know, when you have little ones and – just trying to create new experiences as a mom and try to figure it out when sure. you're walking and sure, a lot of times feeling less than adequate
1: as oh, a young goodness. parent. Well, I'm grateful and still keep those ties. There were two women that I became very close to in York. One of my kids were all little. Um, one lived down the hill, Carolyn and one lived up the hill, Maxine. And we used to talk about dumb stuff like how many grand cracker crumbs do you have on your floor? <laughs> you <laughs> <Right? know? laughs> For us, it was
0: Cheerios. Like, oh, I
1: see. The little,
0: the, You always had a box of Cheerios for your little it. ones. With Carrie, it was goldfish. Which, oh, my gosh, goldfish, well, she yes. she became a
1: writer um, after she majored in Russian and had a Russian tutor from UNH come and tutor her. She wanted very much. Self-Work Rotary gave her a scholarship, which didn't you know, really mean anything. They placed her Ruby. in Ukraine. Ruby, go lay down. Go lay down. But she wrote an article about carrying goldfish for little kids when she was a travel writer. And um not Good Morning America, I think. Picked it up and um, did a little stint of her little article saying, take your kids on all the journeys you take, but make sure you take a lot of goldfish. Yes. I can't believe those. It's, it's so funny because it's cute. even having
0: my children were 12 years apart. Erin was born, oddly enough, in
1: 1994.
0: four. I'll be darn. And, um he was definitely a Cheerios baby, and I think Anna, who came seven years later, was still Cheerios, but by the time Libby arrived 12 years later, whoa, was Goldfish.
1: I'll be darned. <laughs> As, you know, she
0: was a toddler, and we were, you know, I was bringing the, Libby in a stroller, and Anna was tagging along to all of Aaron's baseball games at Agamenicus Fields, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is kind of the epicenter for South Berwick, for all the kids to grow up playing sports and whether it's soccer or baseball or right, those dogs are more active today it's good i'm liking it it's beautiful spring weather so linda you raised your children you taught middle schoolers mm-hmm. who they still sometimes i think we were in the store one time and a middle schooler came in
1: oh my gosh it's hysterical it really is i go to restaurants in dover and after the wages is taken i think she's like you look a lot like one of my favorite teachers are you mrs becker 20 years
0: later. Mrs. Becker. And now you still continue on because you, are you still working with the hike through history or you did that for some a time? Yet.
1: Um, yeah. I usually take a group working with the liaison between eighth graders at Marshwood yep. and third graders at Central, but they've changed the model and that's nice that things change and grow. When I first started, they had only high school kids going from place to place in South Berwick and stopping at significant um, buildings or places and doing a, a chit-chat with the kids in Hike Through History. And now the kids are engaged. They are part of Hike Through History. And that's such a great approach to take with kids.
0: And then I think Libby, when Anna was um, in eighth grade, Libby got to work. No, Lib- Anna was in high school. Remember the year they paired the, th- is it they paired the third graders with the eighth graders?
1: Mm. It is the third and eighth graders that they did for years and years in a row. <laughs> and it's I- still the eighth graders who, uh, who do the major part. Yep. of the hike planning, and then, you know, it's a lot of work. It starts, like, February and March and ends up in May and June.
0: But their birth years lined up perfectly. You have hairy hair or something. I'm ready, so ready. sorry. <laughs> Harry is an Australian shepherd, and wow. his hair does not it. stay attached to Dear his buddy. body. I think I got it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So, but the, it was a magical year that Anna and Libby were paired together. Oh, I love For did Hike Through happen? History. Yeah, it did happen, and How we had their cool. costumes and everything. Oh, I love it.
1: It was very sweet. Nicole St. Pierre is um, like the angel of, I don't know if she actually literally started it herself, but she was the one who contacted me and I was happy to do that. Um, Nicole and I, Nicole and our family um, have a special relationship because Abby adored her and she adored Abby. for some reason. Abby was just one of those students that. Was Nicole a really, teacher? She was teaching at, uh, that, uh, was called then it was called Southport Junior High. She taught seventh and eighth grade. And
0: that was she, right on two thirty
1: six near mm-hmm. your home, well, or near the. All the schools have gone through this morphing. Yeah, <laughs> Central stayed the same exactly. Um, and when I was here, I went from first grade through eighth grade at Central School. Mm-hmm. Seventh and eighth grade, I had the most fabulous teacher in the world, which is why I became a teacher. Mrs. Sawyer, absolutely loved her. Penny loafers, tweed skirts, Shakespeare. I mean, she's an life. enormously uh, inspirational woman. Then they moved, um, I think after we even moved here in 1980, they took the third and fifth grader, no, third state, third state at Central. Fourth and fifth. fifth and, yeah, up, up to Great Works. But mm-hmm. Great Works, um, I guess that was the new school. When I left... There was a South Berwick High School where the middle school is. That was where the middle school is and where I subbed. When I finished teaching in Oyster River, I started subbing for 13 years.
0: And that became Marshwood High School because when I moved to Kittery Point in the summer before my sophomore year from Keene, so Mm -hmm. I went to Keene High School for one year and then moved back to a small town. And um, played field hockey at what is now the junior high Marshwood oh, High no School. Kidding.
1: That was Carrie's favorite sport too. She loves field hockey. Well,
0: well I ended up in field hockey because they they didn't have soccer. I'd grown up playing soccer, oh. and um, the counselor said, "Nope, we're going to get you right in the swing of things. We're going to put a field hockey stick in your hands."
1: Cool. So I was like, did you oh. like it?
0: I did, except I ended up getting hit between the eyes. Ouch. With one of the sticks and blood just, I'll never forget, just went everywhere. So the new kid, the new kid and I just had this, my eyes were swollen shut. I was nice. like walking around looking like I was a professional boxer or something. Trauma. <laughs> that was a little bit trauma? of trauma. Oh, but um, so teaching, community member, we mentioned this morning, we were talking before we started the podcast that Chip Harding, comes to the store chip harding was a, a huge musician right in his day mm-hmm. he was on a label Yes,
1: he was.
0: and now he offers an incredible service to the community he has a an amazing studio and i know he works with a lot of young people and adults throughout town and mm-hmm. the seacoast berwick academy berwick academy and he had come he comes into the store i love it like the he comes in um, every couple weeks or so, and he purchases a few cards, and it's uh-huh. always uh-huh. cards that are made by local op- artists. Mm-hmm. And he um, he will, you know, spread out his love, and he just does it really quietly. That's but funny. he, the last time he was in, there was um, these two musicians that um, one lives in Ireland and one lives in Somersworth, and they cross the ocean. And they play in Irish pubs together. Oh my goodness. And it's uh, Jubilee is the name of their act. So they were in there talking about how they met and playing music. And then of course in walks Chip Harding. <laughs> and um so he had shared, there's a point for this <laughs> like related to you. He had shared um how a group of South Berwick residents, I believe, had come together to celebrate
1: David Charette's life when it's Actually, our group, It's um we are fortunate enough to have Susie Burke in our midst. And eight, nine, ten years ago, it's been a really long time now, she just started asking people that she knew liked to sing, if they'd like to be a group that meets regularly on a weekly basis down at the Mills in Wellensburg. In fact, this is Wednesday, and it's actually our night. I'm hoping I can make it tonight. But she... Um, it extended beyond Southbrook. The reason I shared that is that we have people from Durham. Mm-hmm. Actually, one of the people in my group is the mother of a student I had when I was teaching in my school. Sally is from uh, Kittery Point. A couple of people are from Kittery. It's uh, maybe one from Elliot. But it's it's not restricted to our town. It's only, it's only the people in Susie's group. Um, I believe every single one of the women in the group that did the songs. And ship, gracious and wise, they.
0: Finish the thing about it. yeah. Well, he, so after um, being in the store that day, he had just said, hey, look, I have you ever heard this? And I said, no, I didn't even know that it existed. And, you know, so there's so much to say when I'm with you. It, like, it's the story spin off in a thousand directions. But at this, that morning, I had heard um, Issa and... <sighs> So Issa went Lula to school. Wild. He has? Yeah. so
1: Written up in, are you ready? Rolling Stone Magazine.
0: Oh, right. well, he told me that they had just performed on Jimmy Kimmel. Yes. But so. Well, now it wasn't be-
1: Lula Wild. Actually, it was Issa. Issa. herself and the other girls kind of like have gone a little bit their own way. But originally they were a group called Lula While.
0: So Issa. And mm-hmm. so when Aaron was in third grade, we moved to South Berwick. Um, so we lived on Lord's Lane. We moved to Offa of Meadow Lane, mm-hmm. which is right around the corner from the Surrettes. And so Aaron was in, in class with Issa. Um, so, you know, there's all that familiarity in a small school in a small town. You pass everyone at parent-teacher mm-hmm. meetings or ice cream socials or book night or what all of these different things. And so growing up with the knowledge of these girls and, you know, hearing them at chorus, um, concerts or band con- and just, you hear it and you go, Oh my goodness. Like that's amazing. But you never, I don't think you, I think we're busy raising our kids or just moving through our days to imagine that one day it's well, like he, one graduated. of the Marshwood football players playing for the there you go. NFL. That's yeah. kind of the equivalent. I sure. feel like.
1: so, I think Berkeley helped, um, you know, in terms of Issa finding her way in the musical world, because you're going to have contacts and things. Mm-hmm and she graduated but she had
0: she has even David and Susie you know I worked at central school myself for five years and Susie would come in and do music for the kids and just hearing that and being a part of it and being aware of it it's it's special very well so the morning that Chip had come into the store that morning I had heard them on Spotify and I can never remember their name Lala Lulu Wile. Lulu Wild. Like mm-hmm. they popped up and I was like, oh my goodness. Like just had forgot about their reach and mm-hmm. how talented that group was. So then guess who was playing before you came? Um, Bloom, Lulu Wilde, And their no song Blue kidding. came up on Spotify again. I love it. And so I think that um, one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the podcast, because myself is a young woman in town, there are a group of you that truly act as silent mentors and women who kind of extend their arms and bring you in and just share um selflessly like that was one of the first things i noticed and in town you know and i'm going to say some names and i'll probably forget someone and i don't mean to but yourself like wendy persig cynthia gagnon hope murphy Amy Miller, like just this collective of strong, Susie Burke in her own quiet way. She's very Mm -hmm. humble, Mm -hmm. but like just strong, creative forces of everything good. Jane Cohen
1: Fletcher. Oh, gee, adore her. She edited my book of poems. Um, I told her I was thinking I never had a bucket list, but I knew the expression. I thought, well, if I had a bucket list, I would like to republish some of my poems, self publication. And she, she heard about it, and uh, she said, "I said, would you be willing to edit?" My mom said, "She of course."
0: And so, Jane is a national best-selling children's she author. Is. She's another one like Susie that flies under the radar. When I had the little hat company, and the little hats were being shipped all over the world. She came in and she said I'm going to write a little children's story about your hats. Oh. And that's when she created Baby Elf. Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah, we yeah. kind of quietly collaborated and she she took our Loopy Lid, which was a a fleece um winter hat for babies and young kids and she put it on the cover. I love with it. the little satin mm-hmm. red loop at the top and she just I feel like that's part of the, the deep magic of South Burke and communities like ours is when people have these extraordinary moments of success or realization or have so demonstrated that they can create space for things that they love mm-hmm. and not only create it and hold it, but then share it without any expectations of what is this person going to do for me? Like, it's just this outpouring of outreach and that's you know people talk about self-work as being magical and I really think that's at the heart of it is really strong talented creative intelligent kind people sharing their gold Mm -hmm. and allowing it to be without any intention of oh what is it going to do for me what am I going to get out of this? Or and that just seems. And you mentioned Rachel Martin. I feel like Rachel, she's a peer of mine. That's the next generation. Right. These strong women that are kind of taking the baton. Not that you ladies are done by any means, but having witnessed what all of you have done for the community, like I think of Cynthia Gagnon being one of the spearheads of the Strawberry Festival, which lived or has lived for over thirty years, right. Right. and just getting it done Mm -hmm. like um
1: and we have that reputation the town does because i remember um meeting a new teacher in oyster river and we were just kind of getting to know each other where do you live when she heard i lived in southburg she said oh i'm so jealous and no one had ever said it that way to me before and i said yeah it's a lovely town she said oh it has such a great reputation everyone wants to move to southburg because there's a community there I said, yes, there is exactly that. It's a community that you just described beautifully, Jen.
0: But don't you think there's also where in a lot of towns, there's one one small group doing things (laughs) and getting them accomplished? Mm -hmm. You know, as we're talking about these different women, then I think of Cindy Maloney, who is this amazing librarian who's done. A number of things like worked on where in the world is Haiti, like yep. the geography. That's coming game. up. That's <laughs> Are you on a team this I, year? I,
1: I'm not on a team, but I just got an invitation from Amy Miller. i like, oh, put <laughs> that on my calendar.
0: <laughs> but she also, like, I think the magic she leaned, people lean into what they love. Like, she created the Harry Potter event. Yeah, great that works. And, her. like, yeah. I, you know, even this year, some kids <laughs> came in dressed up as they're the perfect guard dogs but they guard when nothing's there
1: (laughs) that's the thing they're preparing they're getting themselves ready
0: but she is another one that creates this space for kids that get come alive in the harry potter series which you know just giving them an outlet
1: to be who they are and that's very important because that's what it's all about getting a child you if you can light the spark that allows them to kind of blossom into who oh, they are. I love that light and yeah. the spark. Yeah. And they and, do. And
0: maybe seeing something in people that they are not willing to see for themselves yet.
1: Mm-hmm. Or maybe don't know. You know, it's that's what I meant about when I turn kids writing around and put it in front of them, make them read it out loud. We we shared poems every month. They had to memorize a little poem and share it with a class. And they started out by going, Oh my god, I could never do that, Mrs. B. I just couldn't. Please don't ask me to. Say a poem in front of the class by Christmas, they would say, What's the theme this month? <laughs> is it okay if I bring in my guitar and can poetry is like singing, right? So we'll do a song for and Just They just ran with it after I presented it to them. So,
0: you know, I'll never forget in middle school, we had so, um, middle school or junior high, we called it mm-hmm. so sixth, seventh, eighth. It was a very small school, so you had the same set of teachers that taught. Mm-hmm. The subjects to each of the grades. So you, gotcha. so social studies—that's what history was called back then. I don't know if it is now, but like social studies was taught by Mr. Hood for all three years, sixth, seventh, and eighth. And one of the things that he did for me—he was that teacher—he would say one day in class, he said, "You know, I wish, I wish some of you would share what you read out loud." Mm. And he looked at me, and he's <laughs> staring. He's like, "I Woo. wish you would just." share your voice that you share in your writing out loud in class. And I think that when teachers give students that space to share their creative work, their creative voice, I mean, that's, that's hugely empowering because that's a unique aspect of yourself that nobody else can create. If they wanted to, they can try to, um, duplicate or copy, but it's never going to be that same voice. And I think um, that is what you've done. And maybe this is a good lead into for you to share some of your poems and share your incredible voice with our listeners. And it's, you, I was thinking when I asked you about cobwebs and glitter, only because I think that's what I'm most familiar with, but you came armed with another poem. I
1: did. I did. Well, I actually came armed with two, and mostly because I thought of the timeline between when I first started writing, seriously writing. I mean, I have a dopey, dopey, one of those poems, like, sometimes you're so embarrassed about what you used to. The first line was, only a sprig of, no, that's another poem. A beautiful butterfly on a rose was the first line. <laughs> I was like eight. Um, but I'm talking about when I first this started Is beautiful writing. butterfly
0: I'm, on a rose dopey? Like why would uh, well, you call that the dopey? The whole thing
1: was just so... Um, was it sappy sweet? Yeah, like Victorian writing, because that's what I was raised on essentially. we we'll just call you John Keats, right? All of the older classic poems were what we had in school as an offering. We didn't have Shel Silverstein Look what's on them my them
0: table. Up. I can't believe
1: you said the that. I love Where the Sidewalk Ends, Light Me Out. Yeah, they are awesome. And Static's one of my favorite authors.
0: The Giving Tree, right? Awesome. That was Aaron's
1: favorite, favorite
0: book. You know, it's so funny. I have to share this really quick. When um, he started at Central School, he actually was going to Kittery um, at Mitchell School because his dad lived in Kittery. And then he transferred over to third grade at Central School. And it was Ruth Trite was his teacher. Okay. And he came home. And he was so excited. He had his first spelling test. And he had gotten a 100. But I'll never oh. forget this. One of the words that she gave her third grade class was nonagenarian. Oh and goodness. it was a word that I hadn't heard. And you said when you first came on the podcast, you go, am I a septagenarian? or like- <laughs> And I said, that must be something they teach
1: in South Berwick. Like, that just well, must really be funny. part of the curriculum. You reminded me of something that happened with Susie's circle. We don't just, first of all, there's a little bit of gossip that goes on. Of course, we don't sing every minute with, with her. And she has these lovely rounds that we do where a person sings and, or not sings. We do a lot of the rounds where we sing. But this was, you, you need to come up with a word that you really like. That people might—I don't know if she actually said "don't hear too often" or something like that. Mm-hmm. But my my word was onomatopoeia, and everybody loved <laughs> it. We I all know that. Word. And then somebody yeah. went, "Good word." <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I don't even
0: remember what that <laughs>
1: means. Is it something like it's it's what sounds I just,
0: like what it says precisely?
1: Okay. When you say um, "sleeping" is because this isn't a word, but um, yeah, it's a it's a word that when you say the word, sounds like what the word is. Okay, so, whispering, you yeah. know. Whispering. Whispering isn't really onomatopoeia, but the whisper itself, to say my whisper. That's all. It's all fun. All good fun. And it's all about words and the power of words. And I think that, as an English teacher, was what I was most interested in impressing upon the kids. That language is um, amazingly powerful as a tool for connecting with other people, number one. But also for bringing out whatever it is inside you that you want people to know. You can write about that. If you're lucky, you don't have to. But kids ended up being proud of what they wrote with me. I had them write an anthology of poems as Christmas gifts with a theme for someone that they loved. And a lot of them chose my mother. She loves flowers. All my poems that you've taught me, you know, haiku and um, I think I did like seven genres of poetry. They had to do one of those and illustrate it and put it in this anthology and give it to a loved one as a Christmas gift. Mm. And I had a man come in and sit down specifically came in to tell me this. He never had a son of his own. There was a boy next door, who's my student, who used to go fishing with him. And so the boy wrote all the poems about fishing and gave it to this man for Christmas. And it had an, um, they had to write a dedication. And were, almost, which here, the man said, leaned into me, and he said, I've never been so moved by writing before. He wrote them for me. And it was like, I, you know, I brought the kid in, and I made him sit down and say, do you realize what your writing meant? To that man. How rich a gift Just, that was. We did that every year and then we'd play really loud Christmas music and wrapping paper and ribbon and we'd wrap them all up and you know kids would take them home. I love that.
0: That also reminds me that you're incredibly altruistic and in that um, you sing at the Berwick home.
1: I did. I sang there for a couple of years. Yeah, Just to bring Bring a gift. And I brought Cara Plank some with me, and he did some piano playing with Bob Dylan songs and blew the place away. And they just came alive, I bet. He was so good. You know, cool, quiet. He has something going. with
0: Bob Dylan. He did. He did. <laughs> no, but you do, right? Like, is Bob Dylan one of those musicians that's a theme in your life? Um, I no, what did
1: Rick play when you first met him? Was it Bob Dylan's song? It was She Belongs to Me. Yes. Which and, I um, thought, you know, just the title is a little sexist, but um, – the words were, you know, she's got everything she needs. She's an artist. She don't look bad. She wears an Egyptian ring. It sparkles before she speaks. Um, just, he is a something, he's, he is a walking antique. I mean, the words just blew me away. And I'm saying that he dedicated it to me. And I was like, no one's ever dedicated so I mean he's playing his little Gibson. And then about a week later, I went to go get my mail. And in my mailbox was a poem on parchment paper that he had written for me and i'm like okay this seals it
0: but even the lyrics of that bob dylan song as you're saying them like when i think of you and rick within our community like even the the nod to the egyptian ring like where rick just has like these love for these eccentric little oddities that are treasures right like Mm -hmm. antiques yes but when you go into his space they're like Really cool, yeah, one-of-a-kind, unique totally. pieces that not everybody will find.
1: And people say that when they come in. That all the things in your antique shop have a story. And Rick knows the story. That's why he bought them. Um,
0: you know, I have something that. that I bought from Rick in Did this you? house. Yeah. Oh. It's an old um, map of South Berwick. I love it. And that um, I had framed at the frame shop. And then for years, I had this wooden piece that um, – Rick thought it was a yoke that was put on young calves, oh okay. and but I used it as a poker in my fireplace because it, it was just the perfect
1: thing. And, well, we do that with tongs. We what's that word they use now? Repurpose. pair of black wrought iron tongs that people used to pick logs and stuff up. Yeah. With. Rick put it on a hanger, and that's our paper towel holder. and It, was, it worked <laughs> out great you put it through the two tongs. And, I, it's I loved it.
0: Loved it. So would you feel
1: comfortable <clears throat> reading your poems or? I'm honored to be asked to do so. And I just will preface the first one by saying this is an old one. <laughs> there, there they go. There they go. <laughs> I love them. Um, this is just what it sounds like. It's actually got a story. It's a story poem. Um, it's a little long, but I shared this with Someone recently because they knew I had written it. And I'm going to share this one. And then I have one more that is one I wrote about my sister who has Alzheimer's. Oh, and gosh. It that's... felt like it might be topical.
0: Yes, um, of course. A lot of people go Should that. we pause between the poems and then talk about each? Is that, sure.
1: or we'll just see what happens? Absolutely. Um, this was just on a lark. And again, it's bringing music into it again. I particularly like Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Um, teacher Children. That's one of the songs we're going to do on our CD we're making with Chip, because our children know that song. We They gave me a surprise birthday party in Portsmouth, and that and the circle game. Anyway, it's easy to get off on <laughs> This one is called Finding Religion at the Walmart, and I think what I'm going to do is what Almost everyone I know in my age group has to do. Put on some reading glasses. Yes, it's so funny. <laughs> Ruby
0: is right at you. She has just Hi, decided that she loves you.
1: She also hears something cool out there.
0: The, so- the sidewalk plow is coming.
1: Rick got up and snowblown our yard by at like 7 o'clock. I'm like, yeah, I'm really impressed with you, honey. Okay. Finding religion at the Walmart. <clears throat> I pull into the lawn and garden center keep the engine running while sweet Judy Blue Eyes plays on the car radio. I remember all the words and happily break into song, accompanying my favorite parts with shameless gusto. Sing your song, don't be long, thrill me to the marrow. As I turn off the ignition, I'm startled to find my eyes filled with unshed tears. <laughs> oh, oh puppies, <copy>, <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Moved by this small grace in the midst of my day like frost crow shaking down upon me a shower of snowflakes. I think of how music holds together my lungs, bones, blood, becomes my body's heartbeat for these random five minutes. When I was very young, my father sang us to sleep with old spirituals and hymns his mother had taught him.
0: I thought his astonishing
1: tenor was God's voice coming to me from out of the darkness. Later, my own three children fought her passage from my womb into this world. I was temporarily transported beyond the endless panting and counting by the birthing room lyrics of Paul Simon and Joni Mitchell. One black midnight years later, so lost in the abyss of our youngest daughter's death that my own grief frightened me, my husband held me fast and sought solace in music. Over the airwaves of public radio came not violins or piano, not plaintive arias, but the solid familiarity of an acoustic guitar and a box of rain. Abigail's song: the title of her book of poetry. Her presence coming to us out of the darkness. God's own voice again. A swift, smiling arrow piercing us with its truth. Jerry Garcia as an archer as a excuse. Me, Jerry Garcia as Archer and apostle. Harry Chapin called music the glow on the horizon of each newborn day. That's right where God lives, isn't it? Music is God. What a concept. I'm laughing out loud now, and the man in the Toyota, Toyota next to me is staring nervously. Poor guy. Probably <laughs> thinks it's menopausal mood swings. I guess he's never heard of parking <laughs> parking lot epiphanies.
0: <laughs> oh, you know.
1: Oh, my gosh, those dogs. The box
0: of rain. Um, we all know you for that license plate on your car. Oh, Linda, they are a rare place today. Holding up, holding up. Spirited dogs. have a
1: spirited dog.
0: They definitely add another dimension to the house (laughs) and everything that happens here. Do you there's so much that that brings to mind is so many times that I've sat in my car with tears forming um, before getting ready to go into somewhere or to see someone. And, you know, women, we seep our emotions are, you know, we sometimes they just spring forth, but it's like always that. uh, Allowing ourselves to be sad and then regrouping. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, Men, I think men are curious about that sometimes, (laughs) that we have that ability or
1: that we You know, I think that's one of the small, well, it's not small, Linda, that's not what I mean at all. It's one of the huge life lessons that Rick and I both learned um, when we lost Abby, is that it's absolutely necessary, it was absolutely necessary for us to cry when we needed to, to hold each other, to say, I couldn't do this without you. Um, to be cross country skiing and see the sunset and turn say to each other at the same time. Abby would have loved that. She was an avid skier, not just um, cross country, but yeah. But not to in,
0: honor her uh, certain
1: things, life too, and mm-hmm. and not not forget. Well, we sent Marshwood kids for almost ten years to um, Bates College in her name for a writer's scholarship. Kids could apply for it, and it was a summer program with international students writing poetry uh, and doing other things, but mostly writing. It was a writers' workshop. So um, I think I think that ability to just be more outwardly visible as a person who's showing their emotions is something that many people fall into and are allow themselves to do as you get older. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I heard, was it Sally Field? or oh, was it a new poet that I just heard? Krista Tippett. Have you ever listened to Krista Tippett? Mm-hmm. To the, on Being. On Being, right. Yeah. I know it's not on, on Sunday mornings anymore, but she had um, the Poet Lord of America on maybe before yesterday in a podcast that I was listening to. And she talked about that. Actually, I think I wrote it down about living um, and because it occurred to me, oh, I always find money in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she said, there's a failure of language. It's always trying to explain something that can't be done with words. There's always a little bit of mystery. Nevertheless, poetry and writing is a place that gets closer to s- saying who we are. And I think because R- Rick wrote and Abby wrote and both of my kids wrote, that's... And you who write. we write. And I do write. And this... Um probably 20 years after the one I just shared about looking for my English ivy. I was very specifically looking for something in the Walmart um, garden section that I hadn't been able to find anywhere, and I ended up with a poem instead of English ivy. Um, my younger sister, Diane, is 74, very accomplished woman. She was... <laughs> She was the cute one in the family. She was the mom. No, I'm serious. Linda, you are so gorgeous. Little, no, it's just hysterical that siblings have these perceptions of each other. Um, and they would come and say to Diane, oh, you look so much like Elizabeth Taylor, Diane. And Linda, are you still still getting all A's in school? <laughs> i like, no, that's It's so great. funny how the well, when stories. We got older, when we got older and I lost my glasses and I got my contacts and became, you know, more... Worldly When I got into college, although I was always enjoying the heck out of life and having a wonderful time here, um, Diane left immediately after high school and joined the Marine Corps so that she could get her own money to go to college because we she had been preceded by other people who had spent a good deal of the family of four's money for college. Um, and so she did that. And after she got out, of, she was made a postage stamp in the Marine Corps because she was so cute, and she was the first woman to ever um, be a flight tower commander in oh. the Air Force. I mean, in the Marine Corps. That's, that's and so they crazy. There's a little postage stamp, which I have a beautiful blown-up photograph of. It's in history books and everything, Diane. Her name named Diane Curtis. Um, there. And that, and a whole bunch of other stuff that she did that was She was a force. She is a force. force. And then she started showing the red flags, and She had always, after she, I mean, they would call her down to southern states after hurricanes and have her supervise building um, places for doctors and nurses to stay in because she knew what the needs would be for them to have and so forth. So she had a a rich history of things that she had accomplished. And then she got divorced and lived alone and for many years was with a retired school teacher that I really like a lot that she's since forgotten. But um, it, it just became apparent that she was slipping, and so I was actually down there during one of her tests. And dementia was on the horizon, and then was more on the horizon, and then she was actually living in assisted living. And uh, February of last year, so it's been about a year now. They actually gave her the diagnosis of um, Alzheimer's she Oh my goodness.
0: Does she know
1: that she has Alzheimer's? Or is she aware of that? It was very, it's almost like, I don't know if you've ever read Flowers for Algernon, but yeah. um, okay. And Charlie. Yeah. And when he was given the medicine to become intelligent and these quantum up leaps or, into light, yeah. at one point he knew he was losing it.
0: He, yes. he became aware
1: that the medicine was wearing off. And then of course they brought him. this gives me the chills when I talk about that book. the the dead mouse in the box and that whole oh oh, i read it in middle school just a reaction i'm getting because diane said to me one day will i keep getting like this more linda she forgot how to put a a piece of underwear on held it up for me and said i know what this is but how do i put it on and we both laughed and then we both cried because she had forgotten um How to wear a bra.
0: (laughs) And in that moment, you were sharing that moment for what it was.
1: Absolutely. And even now, she has a self-awareness. She Mm -hmm. does. um, And uh, it's difficult. It's really hard. And this is a poem you've written? I wrote about, yeah, uh, the name. It doesn't have a poem name, a title. But this is what I wrote at the top of it when I came home. (sighs) Reflections after a visit yesterday with my younger sister who struggles with Alzheimer's. It took me six months, but I got her up here. "'out of a facility in Florida "'into one in Dover "'so I can visit her a lot. Mm. "'There are days that break your heart "'and steal your spirit. "'Dark, thundercloud days "'of unexpected outbursts, "'confusion and frustration. "'You wait until the storm passes, "'knowing it will, "'if you just deflect, "'just hold on. "'And so you do. "'But it takes its toll. "'And later, you sit exhausted, "'clenching the steering wheel,' before beginning the drive home. But oh, the other days, the other moments. She stands suddenly and takes my hand, pulls me up to dance while the visiting guitarist Mm -hmm. plays and sings a rockin' Elvis song. She laughs loudly, and the air around us shimmers with little sparks of her joy, and others join in. A rare diamond moment. And I take it with open arms, trying always to remember She's still in there, somewhere. There is Diane, and I won't let go. I promise.
0: Oh, Linda! Oh, that brought me to tears. Oh. I. Uh, we try so hard to live these lives that we're given in the best way that we can.
1: We do, That's
0: and I, I'm I'm Diane Curtis. Is your sister's name Diana or
1: Diane? Diane, D-I double N. She always says I'm like Dan Shirley in the in the Shirley um, uh, Anne Anne Shirley.
0: Mm-hmm. What's that I series? Know.
1: You know the series? Of course you do. Um, I'm Anne Shirley. ann Shirley is the the. Oh my goodness gracious! Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island. Oh, Gre- Anne of Green. Thank Gables. you, Anne of Green Gables. Her name was Anne Shirley. Okay. And the guy that hit her over the head and called a carrot top. remember all that? It was just and she always said, "That's Anne with two ends." <laughs> and my sister'll say to people, "My name has two ends." Oh gosh. <laughs> that,
0: was, that was one of the <laughs> I
1: remember reading that book and wanting to love it. But I could not love oh, the, it. Well, you know what's funny? It's funny you should say that. I would never dream or dare of reading if I was still teaching. I used Anne of Green Gables as my first read aloud to my students. And there was a line in it that was her, she's such a character, finding her own lake of shining waters, she called it, um, where she could go and meditate. And when we went to environmental camp, my students came back to me, three or four of them, and said, I found my own lake of shining waters, Mrs. Uh, Becker. And they loved the book, and I got to do cliffhangers and teach them what those were. Well... About five years later, this would be the, maybe the first year I taught. I had 19 students, and uh, I totally adored teaching them. And then some time went by, and uh, what did the young adult literature came out? <laughs> Can you imagine the y- stuff A. kids are reading now, and what they would do with the end of Green Cable? Linda, look, I have the young
0: adult section. <laughs> These are go. all the books for my kids. Oh, there you go. And behind you are their picture books. But they're so rich. That's their childhood, and so much young adult. I and love it. I've challenged myself to read through all of these books that they have read on their own so I can share those moments with You're them. You're like a
1: teacher. That's exactly what I had to do. Every year, I would ask the kids, please write on a piece of paper your favorite book you read this and year you would read that it. I didn't ask you to read. And then I would choose the ones that I felt that I could use in literature circles. Right
0: yeah. now, I'm in um, the series of unfortunate events, oh, <laughs> which I, I did it. read the first four. <laughs> um, I love it. But so we, we've had an hour. (laughs) The puppies have lost their.
1: You need to call
0: this puppy time. Puppy time? Us and the dogs. Us and the
1: dogs. (laughs) I just, I,
0: oh my goodness. This, they are definitely more lively today and I, I think they really, they feel comfortable. There's spring in the air. There's spring in the air and lots going on outside. I, you know, I want to just say, um, you know, that I don't know if you remember this, but one time when I was, I don't want to cry, but I was in my late 20s, new to town, and everything that that meant, starting a business in town. and
1: Which I loved. My little grandson still has his little sweater <laughs> your mom made him, and, at, you know, Tess got the giraffe when you closed. Lots of ties to that sweet little store. Sweet I remember
0: store. you coming in. Um, and it was about the time that I started having flashbacks of abuse from being so young. And I didn't share it with you, but you saw something in me and you invited me out for a drink. And I think it was one of the first times that I was able to sit with a person outside of a counselor and share my story in a safe space. And I think I know that I credit that, um, where it's not Oddfellows back then. What was that called? The the first restaurant that oh, went in. Oh, I
1: know what you're talking about. I, the Oddfellows were right above it.
0: That's, yes. Yeah.
1: But now it's called Oddfellows. It was the name of a ship. The ship something. Um. Uh. It was actually the name of a ship. There was a painting of the ship that this was called. Yeah, what yes. Was that? Yes. Uh, we both know but it's, in it's out of business. <laughs> it's replaced that. by Oddfellows, which yeah, are unfortunate. Right. Sure. But right. we
0: were sitting in one of those dark. Boost, right? And um, you opened the space for me to start my healing journey as an adult woman. And Oh my gosh, the puppies are like, enough, no, nah, no crying. <laughs> but I just want to say thank you because I think watching you over the years um, with your own grief and how you've brought music to your life and writing to your life to heal yourself and our community at times, I just want you to know what how special you are. Well no, that's that's a lot of ego in that. I just I wanna say thank you.
1: And I wanna say you're most welcome because I think you're a very unusual person in my life, Jen. I don't know anyone else who shares as openly as you do. Um and who makes me laugh. And I think we have almost the same kind of humor because I've been in your store and I always feel like I've had such a lift of spirits when (laughs) I leave you. I love it. I love laughing with you and I love your beautiful taste and the things that you make available to us. But mostly I just love who you are as a person. And I'm- there's no other word for it. I'm I it, would that say think that about me.
0: there's, there's a connection with you and I, and such, you know, we come in and out, we intersect at such unique points. And I love that. And mm-hmm. I look forward to seeing what the future brings for you, Linda Becker, <laughs> because obviously you're not done expanding and creating and becoming who you are. And thank you, and, um, so, thank you nice. so much for today. It's been great a great pleasure.
1: Take good care, Jim.
0: All right. Thank you.